Choircast podcast episode is brought to you by the Deadly Faith Podcast. Hey, heathens, I'm Lacey. And I'm Lola. And if you're deconstructing, deconstructed, deconverted, dealing with religious trauma, or love true crime, hell, maybe it's all of the above, then you need to subscribe to Deadly Faith. On this podcast, we explore the world where religion and crime collide. Maybe someone takes their religious beliefs a tad too far. Maybe someone is hiding their evil behind their man or woman of God persona. Maybe they started a cult, committed murder, or even believe that they are the second coming of Jesus Christ himself. Now, this isn't a world full of sunshine and rainbows, but it's a world that needs to be explored. So get ready for some deep dives, hard truths, and even some comedic relief as we tell these heartbreaking true crime stories. Western Christianity has spent the last 2,000 years telling everyone they're separated from God. This is Not Church with John and Nat Turney. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. My name is Nat, and I am here with my my brother, John. I couldn't even remember what I was going to say, John. My um, something, something, something older brother, John. So um, you were going to insult me, I'm sure. I, well, it wasn't. I mean, you say insult. I mean, when you say I'm the less better looking, and that how do I take that as anything but an insult? <laughs> well, I, I, it sounds like a personal issue. I didn't mean. Okay. I mean, I'm just being descriptive. Um, <laughs> so I'm just saying. It's like if I say you're dumb, it's not. I'm not insulting you. I'm just sort of trying to lay out the facts. Okay, but, well, that's also true, though. I am dumb. Whatever, man. Um, but yeah, this is the podcast um, where we uh, where we try very hard to be serious and fail miserably all the time. So uh, this is not church, the podcast. Uh, yeah, on your radio dial. I, I, I broke into my like, <laughs> busted into my like, my 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 earlier desire to be a radio DJ. You know, I wanted to be uh, I wanted to be what was the guy? Dr. Johnny Fever on WKRP, you know? Hey, I, cool I want to be Dr. Okay. Demento. So there you go. Well, that there's nothing wrong with that, but. You know, what's really cool is that we always get a chance to talk to really awesome people. And today is no exception. We are joined today by a genuine superstar. This is a, it's, it's an auspicious day, John. The day, the word yes, of the day, is. but the word of the day is auspicious. And we are joined by uh, Jennifer Knapp, who is just an amazing human being. She's a, I can say this about her. And, and when I said it about myself, it was a lie, but she's an award winning. I'm talking like Dove Award, Grammy nominated, multi, I don't know, probably platinum seller. I'm, I'm making that part up, maybe. I don't know. But she sold a ton of records. She was, she's a, a genuine, amazing singer, songwriter, uh, musician. If you, if you have spent any time at all in the world of contemporary Christian music, you probably know her name, although she's way much more than that. But that's where, we, that's where we'll jump off. But she's currently doing all kinds of nifty stuff. I actually had the chance to meet her uh, in July in Nashville with, uh, with Keith Giles and all that crew for the Awakened Nashville deal and she put on a, a concert for us, which was still uh, so good and I had a chance to hang out and chit chat. And man, I'm like thinking to myself, we have to have her on the podcast. So she graciously joined us in the middle of a tour and she's doing all kinds of crazy stuff. But uh, you've heard enough of me yammering on. Let's say hello to Jennifer Knapp. What's up? Hello, Nat and John. <laughs> it was nice to be with you today. <laughs> We're so glad that you've joined us from your cabin in Vermont. Um, is, it, is it true that you now spend your days weaving baskets and, uh, and handcrafting moccasins? Actually, funny you should mention that, Nat. I was just hand-knitting some mittens. 
<laughs> actually, it's a true story. I was, I did all this, I, all this afternoon. I have actually been knitting. Uh, but uh, with, so we're all cracking up because we were talking about doing an SNL skit NPR style, doing the whole interview, the whole podcast in that. Because we were very well versed. And we knew that was as far as we'd get. I know that you should see. I wish you guys could see their faces right now. They are literally two furry fat guys crying on my screen, and I don't know how to feel about it because it's not attractive at all. <laughs> oh. I've never once felt more complimented and also been called fat. That's amazing. I, I feel right. I feel I feel both affirmed and, and a little sad. No. Um, working I, on I it, don't but. I don't mean a body shaming. You're too very. <laughs> Beautiful men who sure, sure. also I would walk around when I went into the bar. Like I would head to the other side of wherever you guys were sitting. I'm pretty sure. That's just all I'm saying. Because I, I know who I can take and who I can't. And you guys, you know, you guys are, you know, you're outside of my weight class. Let's put it sure, that way. Okay. It's a, you are not wrong. Although, uh, you know. I'm just little. Yeah, yeah, I got nothing to say. It was so cool to meet you. What I really enjoyed, and I hope you did too, but I enjoyed just after after you came and sang for us, um, that we just got to go have a little a little drink and hang out and just shoot the shit for a while. It was really nice. I mean, um, you're a genuinely nice person, except when you're body shaming me. Um, <laughs> but other than that, um, to just... I don't know. It was, it was great. I think the people at the bar we went to were fairly annoyed with us because we brought a big, huge group in and they were like, all right, what? What do you want? We're like, I just, just bring me a beer or something. But, um, it was really great. I uh, really appreciated what you, what you did. I've loved your voice. Uh, I promised I wouldn't, I wouldn't gush about that too much, but I have, I've been a fan. So I will fanboy a tiny bit and say, you've always struck me as one of the more creative and original singer-songwriters of that era, you know, who weren't just coming out doing cookie-cutter CCM, Jesus is my boyfriend songs. It was It's amazing <laughs> stuff that you do. Um, <laughs> right? I mean, come on. Well, I was just saying, I've just been making stuff up for like 30 years, so. <laughs> uh, but it's cool. So I, I appreciate that about you, but I don't know, maybe maybe just tell us a little bit about what you've been up to lately. I know you've been, you've been touring quite a bit, it seems like. Yeah. Uh, well, I have been like, as summer is winding down, I guess a bit, uh, I've just kicked off. I just got done doing a, a couple of weeks throughout the Midwest and doing my gig, you know. So I've got a lot of shows coming up this fall. I'm, I'm heading up to the Northeast. I'll be up in like the, the Massachusetts area for a couple of days. Heading right, I think my big one for this fall though is I'm heading out West again. So I'm going to take a big road trip. I'll be gone on the month hanging out and and just, yeah, doing a ton of miles. So uh, heading like, you know, Colorado, Fort Collins, Denver, Col- uh, not Colorado Springs, but somewhere in that area. I'm going to Boise. Anyone listen to this podcast on in Boise? I'm doing a show in Boise. I've got a Seattle, Portland, California, Texas, I'm going to be in for a, uh, a week or so. So I'll be, I'll be out there for a fair bit this fall. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. Well, I saw that you're going to be in Texas. That's amazing. I may have to... I was I was trying to figure out a way to get to Houston, or no, you're going to be in Houston or Galveston, something like that. Yeah, it's a really good question. Uh, I mean, for sure, check out jennifernap.com. I tend to like not. Here's a here's a secret about me is I tend to not pay too much attention to my schedule because when I sit down with my booking agent, we'd all when I find that when I sit down 
and and talk about where we're going to go and what we're going to do. As the dates start to pile up, I start sounding less and less enthusiastic because I'm a, <laughs> I'm a visual person. I'm like imagining and I'm, I'm a map nerd too. So I'm always kind of like thinking about how the map works and all the routing and stuff. And I really think about that day and what it's going to cost. So when like my bot, what it's going to cost my body. So when, you know, my booking agent asked me, Hey, do you want to do this fourth show in a row? And I'd be like, no, I do not. And then <laughs> I try and get out of the, I, I really just, it's worked better for me to kind of get out of the way. And then when the, the schedule, you know, I'll answer a few questions here and there and kind of help the people who are building the schedule uh, to kind of craft it a little bit. Cause they always follow the rules. Like I've got these rules, like I don't sing more than three or four days in a row. I did drive more than five hours in a day and things like that. And as long as they abide by the rules, I don't, I, I just remember like, they're following the rules. So I'm not going to yell at anybody because this is just hard work. I mean, it's hard work to go out there and drive five hours a day, then go do a show, get, you know, if I'm lucky, get eight hours of sleep and repeat and do it again. You know, you do that three or four days in a row. And by the time we get done with the West Coast tour, I'll easily have driven 5,000 miles. You know, it'll be fun. It'll be great. And I love it. And I actually really love the shows. But um, when I beforehand, that's uh, it, part of my amnesia about what really is coming up on the schedule because I try not to look at it too much because I get like anxious about going, oh my gosh, that just looks incredible. And I think I'll never be able to do it. And I've never failed to get through a tour. But um, the older I get, the harder that, tour, <laughs> that touring schedule looks like. <laughs> I'm like, oh, who yeah. thought of this? This is insane. Right. But, (laughs) you know, but once I get out there, you know, I really do love it. I mean, and I I think that's, there's a big difference too, I think, in in the last 10 years and what I call like career 2.0 since, you know, coming back and doing more mainstream stuff since, you know, leaving my Christian music gig behind. I've just really enjoyed getting out there. I mean, I, I... I'll spend, you know, an hour and a half on stage and easily an hour, you know, easily another hour, hour and a half, you know, just hanging out and chatting to people after shows. And, and to me, like, that's the biggest difference is I feel like one, I feel like my, you know, the people who are coming out to shows genuinely have conversations that that we're having and ways that we're connecting and carrying on a conversation that might've sprung up and, you know, in the middle of like the, in the middle of my set, but um, it's a long-term conversation too. And I'm getting to know people from around the country and I absolutely really love it. I mean, there's, it's pretty, it's pretty rare that I go to a, a, a show and I don't know by name, you know, a half a dozen people that are there um, and recognize faces all the time. And I, I really love it. And I, I can't say that I had that experience too much in the early years of my career. Like it was, a part of it, I think, was just being feel you know being worn out every single day, and also just being in an environment where I think I didn't really know that I didn't have confidence enough to be just myself and to be unguarded. And when you spend so much time just being guarded and and feeling like if you make one mistake and somebody doesn't like you, then it could be the end of their career. And it could be something as simple as you know somebody hears me drop my guitar, I say, oh shit. And then some youth pastor hears that and says, you know, oh, Jennifer has a potty mouth and, you know, my whole fucking career is over. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's, the, it's, the, it's a weird stress though, isn't it? Well, for me, like I genuinely wanted to always, I've always really taken, I think it's really important to be as authentic as I can possibly be. And I, 
And I think that's part and parcel for why I like to write and why I like to share music. I mean, if you're putting your heart into your music, then it's it, at least it was always really difficult for me to feel like I could pour that into my music and then not show up for you. You know, just kind of play the song with vacant eyes or, you know, just sign autographs and not really care. I don't really like doing that. I, I don't mind signing autographs, but I'd rather meet you. <laughs> and, you know, autographs are like a fun kind of thing, but for, for, for the most part, like now, uh, like I just have so much more appreciation and and feel like I've been kind of embraced by the audiences and not necessarily just you know held up as something that I'm supposed to model. And I think that's a big difference, right? I mean, I, I still take my my role and I still still take my my time in public. I mean, I, I really do want to be positively influential and you know use my powers for good and and you know I, I definitely remind myself that there's a... I say it with a little L, but I mean, I take seriously my role as a leader inside of my community. And I don't mean, you know, like everyone, hey, come follow me and do what I say. Not that kind of leadership, but to be responsible for for what I'm transmitting and what I'm sharing. And I'm, I understand that there's a degree of that people look up to and it expect me to be the best version of myself. And I think the difference between maybe career 1.0 and now, as I would say, is like, I think that's the expectation. I feel like there's the the audiences that I have now that I'm connecting to do anticipate and are cheering me on to be the best ver- version of myself. And then I've been able to talk about that process out as opposed to, no, you're supposed to be the best version of something that we expect you to be. And I think that there's just a massive difference between... And I and that's something I talked about even earlier in my career is like even in context of faith in our, in, our, in Christian communities going well who who is it that God has created you to be and that let's stop worrying about what you did wrong or what you didn't did didn't do right or whatever but who are you and what is the best version of you that you on your best day you know just being the blessing that you were always and could potentially be in any given day to yourself and to other people around you. Well, who is that person? And that's a person that I've been kind of encouraging trying to have conversations with. And I, I finally feel like after 20 some odd years of having that conversation, that that's actually starting to show up, you know? And so it, it feels like a collaborative affair that, you know, that the people that are there are just as much encouraging me to be the best version of myself and and celebrating when I'm that you know, when I am something that's a blessing to the room, as much as I'm blessed by meeting the other people that are, are that same way. So it's it's kind of a, you know, like, so I can look at that tour schedule and get, you know, worried about the miles and the energy and how much my body's going to hold up. But when I get out there and I actually start doing and connecting and meeting with the people that, you know, it's just like hanging out and go to almost, I won't say it's like a party every night because I, I, I have to, you know, pace myself a little bit, but it's certainly, (laughs) it's certainly, you know, a lot of really, really meaningful and, and fulfilling kind of things to be able to do. Right. I'm I'm really lucky to have this as a gig. It's amazing to watch. um, Let me ask you a question that I'm going to turn over to John because I do this a lot, but um, while, while the question's simmering, um, was it, was it difficult to walk away from career 1.0? Or was that something that you just like, you just had to do? Or can it be a little bit of both? I mean, could have been something you had to do, but it was also very difficult, but no, no. It wasn't, it wasn't. Like, it was incredibly difficult. Well, I'll say, no, it wasn't hard to walk away at all. Like, it, it was hard to make the decision to do it. Like, that took me a little while to do it. Um, and then after I'd kind of, but once I, I typically tend to make a decision and then I tend to be pretty committed to that decision. Um, like, 
the rationale that got me there was like, oh, there was no other decision for me to make. So in that sense, I didn't regret it. I wasn't hesitant to do it, but that doesn't mean that it wasn't an absolutely terrifying and painful experience to execute. <laughs> I mean, I had I had decided a year before I quit, so I had like a calendar, you know, a whole entire year to of dates that I had to do that I didn't want to do, but I did, um, and that was difficult. And I didn't. I think the thing that I didn't really anticipate is is at the time how heartbreaking it was to walk away from something that I thought would be the last time I ever did it. I mean, everything that I'd ever been told um, as a Christian music performer is that if I wasn't, you know, playing this faith-based music, that, you know, my arms were going to fall off, that my tongue was going to fall out, that kind of all these terrible things were going to happen to me because I wasn't... Basically, to be honest, I think one of the ways I would put it is like, I felt like, you know, here is this thing that I felt called to do and I just couldn't sustain it anymore and survive. And in order to survive, I chose myself and I said no to something that I knew was a calling. And that was a really terrifying decision to make. Um, and I did make it because, you know, I'm pretty into self-preservation to, you know, a healthy degree. And I wanted to get my... I wanted to, to be a healthy human being and I wasn't at the time. So I was pretty motivated to do that. But I was really terrified and it, and it hurt a lot to walk away from something that even though I kind of often, I think sometimes talk negatively about that experience, I really do love what I do. And I really do love connecting to people. And the prospect that all of that was now behind me was an incredibly painful process. I mean, I mourned it for a solid two years. And I probably cried every day for like a good eight months. Like it was just an incredibly painful experience to go, you will never do this again. Um, You will, you know... And something that I really, really love doing. Um, but I love doing it so much. And I, I think that also speaks to how painful at the time it was to continue to do something that I really loved. Spoke some, you know, that said something to me. It's like, here you are, you're terrified to to not do this thing anymore, but you know that if you keep doing it, it'll it'll kind of it'll kill you. It just felt like it was just killing me. So, you know, it was like being between the rock and a hard place. But I was really grateful to have walked away from it in that sense. Like it took me a long time to kind of really feel the joy of it. Um, and I think it took me a, a long time then after that to kind of clear out the weeds as to, you know, I, I had to, I, had to, I not only like mourn the death of it some, but I was also, I had to go through like, it was like all the stages of grief that I actually really went through. And one of some of that time was anger too, because I was angry that here was this thing that I knew I was made to do and that I loved doing and I couldn't do it anymore because I didn't fit that environment and that environment didn't like me anymore and I didn't know what to do about it. And I didn't really kind of see or take much stake in my own talents or didn't know what I was going to do after that to to really even imagine that, oh, you could just go play somewhere else. You know, you can you can, you don't have to sit in that space. And I think now what I would say is like, I feel like I just kind of outgrew that space a little bit, not in terms of, I don't mean like in terms of like notoriety or, or anything like that. I just meant like those pants didn't suit me anymore. <laughs> you know, like, you, you know, it's, it's, it's the end of the, it's the end of the, the winter and you're trying to get back into your summer pants and you're like, oops, like they just don't fit. And so it wasn't a judgment. I, I, although I had plenty of judgments to make and plenty of things to work through after that experience, I, it, it took me a long time of grieving and of anger and of fear to be able to get to a space of just rem, 
like of healing. And part of that, strangely, part of that healing process was picking up my guitars again and playing and writing, processing. And and I was like, oh man, <laughs> like now I'm now I'm doing the thing. And and I was scared about it for a little while, but getting back into it was really one of the best things for me. It was just a really healing experience. And that got me to kind of connect and I, I'm sk- I'll skip way ahead. But just getting back, and I think what I would say out of that is just getting back to the gift of who I am was a, to, was a return to being able to an, understand something that I just felt made to do, something that was natural to me. And I didn't necessarily have any expectations when I started playing again that I was ever going to have a stage to play on. I, you know, I don't think any musician really... It's all a crapshoot. You know? like, if I write music and you like it and you want to keep listening to it, great. You know, but there's no guarantee and there's no demand that I can make that anyone will listen to what I have to say. But none of that'll, ha- you know, none of that was really my concern when I started writing again. I just started writing again really for myself, which is kind of how I started, you know, 30 some odd years ago. And if people, if I was writing something that people resonated with and I would, you know, I just said, well, I will cross that bridge when I get to it. And, um, and if that ever happens again, I am going to, you know, one of the one of the things that I said is if I'm going to do that again, I'm going to do that like wildly and as authentically as I possibly can. And if nobody likes that, then and that, you know, if that limits my career, li- limits my opportunities, then so be it. Um, I because I knew that I wouldn't be able to survive in an environment where I didn't feel like I could have an honest conversation with folks. Yeah, I mean, going back into doing like the whole Christian music scene, I would imagine you did like Christian music festivals, and you were probably part of that scene at one point. That's just a weird, it's just a weird environment. John and I were aspiring Christian musicians at one point. <laughs> we're nowhere near the level of talent that you have, right? But we, that, that's what we fancied ourselves at. And we had our, we had our teeny tiny little brush with the, with the harshness of that. Even in our little hometown, we played a concert one time for, and we were seen as human and we were like blackballed from churches in the area because, you know, our guitar player smoked a cigarette after, after a set or something like that. It was like, it was like this hypercritical weirdness. Uh, Amy Grant comes to mind because she's coming to San Angelo next month and people are still not over the fact that she got divorced. <laughs> I and thought people ugly. were doing pretty good. I mean, I guess like... There, there you should read the comments. Really? It's, it, it's... Well, no, don't, don't. Never read the comments, right? That should be like... I, I know that's rule number one, but I, I saw a, a sponsored Facebook ad for Amy Grant coming to town and it was easily 80% of the comments were like, why would I go see that adulteress? Wow, like, are that's you seriously amazing. still hung up about something that happened like 25 years ago? And she, I'm sorry that she shattered your image of what a, you know, <laughs> so-called Christian singer is supposed to be. But it seems like, and I, I would imagine that anywhere inside of the music industry, that's image is something that's sometimes manufactured, right? I mean, they, I think a lot of musicians struggle with trying to live up to an image that maybe a record company or someone is trying to form for them. But it seems harsher somehow in the Christian scene. Yeah, I, I try to get my head around it sometimes because I, I think I think CCM's definitely something that's been historically made fun of plenty. And, you know, it's it's I I I, I mean I, I'd like I enjoy being able to talk frankly about my experience, but I, I think it's also like not as easy an understanding of like at the end of the day, like it is an industry. Like it is the entertainment industry to a degree. I think so I would go, well, you know, if you're in a, if you're a mainstream artist, I mean, we still talk about like, is that on brand 
you know, oh, oh it makes me like kind of sick to my stomach yeah, just sometimes. Enough, like, just is, it, that, right? is that on brand? Like, what do I, you know, when I, when I have posts on social media every once in a while, I think, oh, well, I could, I could put this on social media, but nobody's going to understand it because it's, they're not looking for me to say, like, if I went all political all of a sudden and started getting into politics, you know, I have a political opinion, sure. But it's just like, it's not really where I want my brand to go. It's not want my, it's not what I, one of, I've got so many things that I talk, you know, I'll talk theology. I talk music and creativity and faith and LGBTQ issues. My plate's pretty full in conversation points. So I kind of go, okay, well, those kinds of things are on brand and they make sense and they're expected things. And they're also things that I would also say that I have a responsibility to and I've held my hand up for to be responsible and influential in that regard. But for the other things, I'm kind of like, well, you know, I don't have any, you know, there's no credibility and there. there's no reason for me to try and influence the masses with what I think politically, um, you know, or who you should vote for or why, because it's not, it's not, I don't, I wouldn't say that I have the leadership qualities in that or the, the education, I think, to, to be a reliable source for, you know, a reliable source of wisdom for masses of people to kind of follow in that way. That's all to say with CCM, I, I, I mean, I think, you know, we all worry about brands when we're talking about a public facing image. And I think even the average person every day now, we are, we're all branding ourselves to a degree when we post on social media. The, I think the difference is, is how that kind of really gets judged in CCM. It, it gets really, you know, when you're talking about a quality of somebody's person and their character, and then in addition to that, judging whether or not they are spiritually what you think they ought to be, that you add into that ideologies, it starts weighing, you know, the the additions to what that expectation are 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 really unusual in the contemporary Christian and music environment. And more than that, there's a very much a lack of diversity of what those possibilities are. And in my lifetime, that has become narrowed down to a conservative evangelical perspective. And of you know, for for me as a, a as a as a former CCM artist, that's and as so many of us artists who've been through that space have have had, you know. We've met behind the scenes. We're an incredibly diverse group of people. But once you get to the branding for the big marketing machine who are terrified of not selling enough records, they want you to kind of fit this one evangelical brand. And when you're not and you can't maintain that anymore, uh, you don't get to play. And that's, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting. But, you know, there are Catholics behind the scenes. There are white people, black people, Asians, queer people, and have been for a very long time. It's just what kind of comes out the the marketed other end of it and what tends to be most financially lucrative for the gatekeepers is part of the issue that is unusually heightened level of scrutiny is, is what I would say. I mean, if you're a mainstream artist and you got, you know, batshit crazy politics, everybody kind of can go, oh, your song's crazy, but you're not necessarily going to get pulled off the shelf and you're, unless you're doing something, you know, profoundly evil. Um, you know, and then even you can try and, and even commercially in capitalism, you try and stalk an artist like that, but the public are still going to vote with their dollars. So I think that's always been kind of the interesting quantity as well is that those decisions are kind of made for the buying public of Christian culture before the Christian culture gets to say, hey, you know what? I'd really love, I love this praise and worship rep record from Flamey Grant. Yes, Flamey Grant is a, 
you know, drag performer. But this is one, you know, not but. Like, this is an amazing record. I want to listen to it and I can't get it. And it's the gatekeepers that they kind of get it in the way. But, you know, now that we've got like... And Flamey is a really great example. And now that we're moving into a world where that's not really a consequence, I think that's one of the reasons why you see like the influence of CCM, at least in this particular way, kind of shrinking. Because, you know, now you can... You know, now I can go and... I can write whatever record I want and and put it out there. And if it's meaningful and if it connects, um, you know, people are going to connect and, and gravitate to that record. And I will be grateful for it. And then Flamey Grant, you know, fantastic, you know, goes on a campaign and gets, you know, on number one on the app, Apple iTunes, you know, Christian music charts, as did Semler and their record. And that is no way that that would, would have been advocated from the the you know, economy from, that's kind of mostly out of Nashville. But the the irony is to me, is like, you guys could have been a part of that. <laughs> you know, you... Yeah, exactly, right? You, you could have been a part <laughs> of that. And because you won't, because you're worried that you're going to lose money, but these are still like incredibly popular and viable and meaningful artists. And I don't just mean the commerce of that. Like, I think it should be stopped on there. Like, you go, you go and hang out with these artists at their shows. You see what they're doing, who they're connecting with, how they're connecting, and how deeply meaningful and healing an environment that is, that is way more ministry than some of us ever accomplished in our careers while we were signed to mainstream Christian labels. Yeah. So you have, you know, like Flamey Grant, um, to, to a certain extent, even Amy Grant, right? Which uh, she recently... I think, All the grants. Didn't she, didn't she only... I mean, if I remember right, all she did was she... she she went to a same-sex marriage, someone that was uh, in her family. No, she, she, her niece, her niece got married, and uh-huh. she, she hosted the wedding on her, okay. on her ranch or on her property. Uh, she didn't officiate. She didn't. I mean, right. and if she had, kudos to her. But she got, she got dragged. But she did. She, she came out in, in, in favor of it. But so they get dragged. They get dragged through the mud. Flamey Grant gets dragged through the mud. No, nope, no pun intended. Right. <laughs> but then you have. Uh, and, I'm sorry, I'm not going to remember the name. Nat will remember the, the the kind of hard rock heavy metal band, Christian heavy metal band, who came out. Don't make me say. Like, don't make me say Skillet. Yeah. So Skillet comes out and says some really hateful stuff, but it's more on the right wing, conservative side, and that's all brushed under the rug, well, swept under the, the rug because it fit the narrative. And that's, that's where I, f- I find the hypocrisy within the CCM is, uh, one is actually trying to show a connection between people and love and acceptance. The other is hate. It's, it's, it's starts from a place of hate. It's, it's a marketable hate. I think when, when statements are made like that, like, okay, so say a gatekeeper pulls a record for one reason or another, or another artist kind of stands for a conservative value. I mean, to a degree, it is signaling, yes, I am the product that you should buy, right? Or that you want to buy. Like, it, it instills the, the, the evangelical model of consumer confidence. I mean, it's a very important statement to not... And, and why it's been so controversial, right? For even a, a straight person to be an ally or to show up at an LGBTQ person's, you know, in support of somebody. Right. They're not gay themselves, but, you know, you won't cross the street to and 
you know, I, I had that happen. Like, you know, even for me, like people were calling me one day when I got back into town. And as soon as I came out, we're not even, you know, nobody's even wants to be seen at my shows because it's guilt by association. The the ability for one to make a statement is a signal that says, hey, I still I don't want to lose the support of the people who have been kind of somewhat trained to do this, which I think is so kind of lending into the hypocrisy comment. It's like, you know, yeah, it is. I, I I agree that there's a level of hip, hypocrisy that that does go with it, but I I think I'm more than that. I think hypocrisy sometimes seems like the easy way to say like people who are like you know pretending to be nice and really kind of being quite cruel right in the process and don't know anything about love is kind of what I would say. But what's disturbing about that for me is that we're using. Instead of like being in a community of people who have the opportunity and we know that we have the opportunity and I, and I say we in the sense of those of us who know, have any kind of affinity to the mother language and the mother tongue of Christianity. <laughs> you don't necessarily have to be like all in, but, uh, you know, but I think there's a familiarity that, I mean, I don't even think you have to grow up in a church to, to be this way. I think we understand something of kindness, generosity, and compassion and that, for a variety of our faith traditions teach us that that's, you know, teach us a way to do that. What we don't do is actually teach the possibility or model the possibility to do that. That's an, that's a very inclusive act to say, listen, you know, you know, I'm not going to throw you out because you had a divorce or I'm not going to throw you out because you drink or smoke or, you know, cuss maybe a little bit too much. You may, you know, there's some decisions one makes to who you hang out with and, you know, who you're influenced by. I get that. But the idea that says that we're guilty by association and then we go out of our way to signal and alienate marginalize others to, to define who we are is a backwards way of doing that work. Um, to me, the core of our spiritual work has always started at the center of who we are to find out something of what God has created us to be, to understand what, when we are in align to that, you know, when, when I'm living in alignment to something that is holy in me, that's something that is me unhinged in the best possible way to be, you know, fruitful and fulfilling and not just a benefit to myself, but a benefit to my community, you know, a kindness and a generous person to my community around me. Isn't it, you know, that self-work will be extended, you know, my philosophy is, and I'll, I'll call it a philosophy, even though i I, I take it straight from the Bible, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul and and your neighbor is yourself, right? Like to me that if you don't know how to love yourself, then you're not going to know how to love your neighbor. If you don't know how to love your neighbor, I don't think you're going to know how to love God, period. I mean, I, I think we're incredibly limited human beings that the, what we can see and what we can touch and what we can do on any given daily basis helps create the habits in us until it becomes ingrained in us to, and, and changes and shapes who we are going to be. So that idea that when we're just simply standing in some place and then denying entrance into somebody is actually the opposite of what we've been asked to do. What we've been asked to do is is extend ourselves in hospitality over and over and over again to the other, to something outside of us to that sometimes feels alien, that that feels like, you know, I got no problem. If something's corrupting you, then like get back to where you're at. If you are corrupt, you know, if you're able to be corrupted, then you're not solid enough in your own space and in your own self. If we're able to be moved off of our own center points so easily that, you know, somebody else coming into the room, that's that's the challenge of our daily lives. So I, I just think it, 
it's so I go back to the it's hypocritical in that sense is we're we're actually saying that we're loving people and what we're doing is defining ourselves by alienating others by thinking that we're going to purify our circles when our circles really aren't that pure any more pure than anybody else's they're really not they're just not you know church you know go into any church there will be people there with all all of the same issues that they have outside of those walls. Those walls do not protect you from doing that. The difference, and this would be my charge as a person who practices in any sense, is that my charge is to take, to do that work in myself. And my, you know, tradition is the tradition, uh, Christianity is a tradition that I probably lean most heavily against. How do I... How do I work within myself and contend with my own spiritual nature and my human nature to the ends of the things that are compelling to me, like compassion and love? How, you know, what does righteousness look like? And to me, it's it's never been satisfied, but when I tick off the list successfully, I mean, I can do a lot of things right, but I don't give a shit about the things I just did. And I don't like, you know, I don't like the attitude in my heart. I really don't. And I, I did a lot of that and that's kind of where I got at the end of my my own personal accountability at the end of my days as Christian Christian music. Like I didn't give a shit about anybody that was in the room with me. Like I I couldn't. I I had no idea how to do it. And it's not like I didn't. And what broke my heart is I wanted to. Does that make sense? Like I knew that. Yeah, I knew that my actions and where my heart was at. I couldn't even look up because I was so desperate to just try and to get to my own sense of getting through the day that wasn't just a self-survival. Like you, you, you're unkind to people around you because you're probably not healthy somewhere inside of that yourself. And that, I don't, I don't think that's true all of the time. But, uh, you know, there is a certain point where if, if we're not acting well outwardly, then probably something inwardly needs the work. <laughs> and that is the same thing with our faith tradition. So going all the way back to CCM, that's why it sucks. So we're sitting here marketing and branding this stuff. It's like, look, here are the role models of this. And then you've got these role models that are only trying to live up to an ideal that's a brand that was there, branded before you got there. Now they're just tacking your name on a poster and saying, you have to live up to this and that's your job. And that's not what artists do. And that's not what we do inside of our faith communities. And that's not what we do in our pews. And that's why it gets really weird really fast. Or that's one of the reasons why I think it gets weird really fast. Well, I find it interesting that you you, you talk about loving your neighbor, right? And within the Bible... We, we get the story where Jesus explains who our neighbor is and the neighbor is basically everybody. But the church has somehow whittled that down to your neighbor is those people that you share church with. And then even within that, because I mean, I, I think we can all speak on this idea of like this idea where the church does like these quote unquote prayer requests, which is just a, just a chance for us to gossip about our friends. You know, I, I need, I, I, I feel like we need to pray for so and so because of whatever they're going on in their life, right? But we've isolated our neighbor until this small community of, say, 50 people. Outside of that, they are not our neighbors. So with what you're saying is that you can't love God because you can't love people in that. And so what I was stuck in that kind of mold, uh, with the church that I was at. Say I was I was 17, 16, 17 years old. I was at, and I'm going to give like, and people have heard this story, so I'm not going to do like a big version of it. But I was asked to do local theater, which broadened me out into a, a world of people who did not fit this mold that I had been that I grew up in. Right, and all of a sudden I'm I'm hanging out with the LGBTQIA plus community, who I was told are 
Satan's father, evil. And I find out that they uh, have the same issues and the same loves and the same concerns and the same fears as I do. And then I was dealing with uh, other groups of minorities who I, you know, in a, in a very white community, when any time you deal with anybody who's from a minority group, you're automatically going to have to like learn how to communicate with them or, or not involve yourself with them. And so quickly, within a year or so, I started to really question all this stuff that I had been raised to believe. That I, I had to trust this small community that I grew up in, and they were the ones that had the truth. And any side, anyone outside of that would lead me, and this is huge air quotes because we're not on video for everyone to see this, but would lead me astray. But as I became friends with these other marginalized communities, I learned how to love them, and I learned how to love God, and I learned how to love other people better. And that was the beginning of the breakdown for me with, okay, the church doesn't really understand what it means to love your neighbor. Yeah. And, and love is, I mean, it's an easy thing to throw around. I, I, I genuinely think, you know, we, we say it a lot, but I, I try and I think it's kind of, I want to put it in the context too, because like, I, I think I talked about love and aspired to love for a really long time until I actually started to love people. And I know that sounds really easy to say, but like, in, you know, like it was a weird day where I realized it's probably maybe four or five years into post coming out. And me, I was still trying to sort out where, what kind of theological points I was going to raise in LGBTQ advocacy, if I was going to raise any points at all. And I, I remember, I, but I was writing an article one day and I just realized I, I, I it came to my mind and I didn't want to write it down. <laughs> I was terrified to see it in ink, in black and white. It's like, oh, my faith taught me how to love my partner. And I was, I didn't want to write it down for like, one, I didn't want to give Christianity any credit for <laughs> my relationship. <laughs> yeah. And I was terrified also by making that statement. Like I was, I was embarrassed on, you know, I was embarrassed on my faith account to actually claim that I'd learned anything from Christianity. I kind of, I was just, Still a little bit edgy enough that I didn't really want to, to you know, have any truth come out of Christianity, <laughs> have, <laughs> have any truth come out at all. And the, and the other, you know, on the other side of that, just feeling completely heretical by you know, and being seen to be to say that out loud. And it it took me a long time to kind of sit with that. And I just I, I got up and I just sat with it. And I was like, that's I wouldn't be here, you know. And that was like a really redemptive moment for me that I had in private. Like I was just like, "Wow, I, I wouldn't be here and and have one of the most amazing, fulfilling, healing, supportive relationships that I have ever known in my whole life, had I not had my experience inside of Christianity." And I am not, you know. And I love my partner very much. And would I exchange that? And would I take that away from that? You know, would I say that there was a better place? I don't know. But I want to give credit to where that was at. And I was grateful for that gift. And I still am. It still t- is a fountain of... It's that those principles and that, that, that teaching is an incredibly helpful thing that I, I learned how to love. And I learned how to love a lot through my, my spiritual not just through my spiritual community and not just through, you know, scripture and, you know, wisdom and the, te- and the teachings of Christianity, but I learned it also by doing it and putting those things into practice in my life. And 
I also like, and so I would say like, we talk about that a lot. But when you, when you actually, I would say at least for myself, I kind of understood even correction. Like that's one thing Christians do a lot. Like Samler has, you know, let's go out for coffee, right? <laughs> right. Like I'm only, I'm only correcting you right now and telling you everything that you're doing. You're wrong because I love you. And I'm, I'm sharing the gospel with you because I love you. Like, <laughs> no. <laughs> like, <laughs> the people that have loved me in my life have never said much more than like, you know, if I've fallen flat down on my face and I am, I am, you know, face down in a pile of my own trouble. The people who have loved me have picked me up. They've come to where they found me laying face down in that rubble. And they have picked me up with hardly any word and nursed me back to health yeah. and were with me. And if they found me before I fell down back into the same predicament that was going to lend me in that spot again, they show up crying and say, can we go now? And can we leave this space that's going to harm you and harm others before I have to do it? You know. And then the third time I've had people going, I can't help you anymore. I can't help you anymore because you don't want to help yourself. You know, that's those to me. Those are the that's that's a hell of a lot different than going to somebody going. You know, you're gay and you're a lost cause, right? You're lost. You don't know if you what gave you that indication that I, my life has has spiraled out of control. I'm happy. I'm fruitful. I've got meaningful relationships. And now all of a sudden, if I see some... I don't have a moral judgment if somebody wants to go on a bender. You want to go on a bender and get shit-faced. And, you know, I ask, you know, I will definitely say, well, I'm... Thanks. Yeah. Let me have your car right. keys. Right. Thanks. Right. You yeah. know, I'll, I'll do things like that. But also go, you know, I, I don't have a moral judgment to make about it. But what... How did you serve yourself well? And what was, you know, like... That, that's all I would say to you afterwards. Like, hey, man, like you kind of put yourself in danger and you endangered me and the other everybody else around here by your behavior. And I'm not going to hang out that close to you anymore if that's going to keep happening. But are you okay? Yeah. Man, are right. you okay? And do you need help? Like, do you, is there some kind of help? Are you suffering in some way? Or are you just having a party? You know, were you just having a party or whatever? But I think there are ways of that, like we're, we're correcting people in that, in that rather than like mourning with them. When you love someone and they're hurting, you start to be concerned about choices, or at least I've started to be concerned about things that I see and choices in others, mostly because there's an un... There's a heartbrokenness in me that wants to go wrap my arms around that person that I love and 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 carry them to safety. And some people like it's not mine to carry them to safety, but I can give them an invitation to safety, or I can say, "Hey, what do you need?" But love is like being there. It's not telling somebody that they're in a bad place and that they're never going to come back. It's making an invitation. It's knowing that you've built a relationship with that other person that even if they don't want to be with you, at some other point in time, they're going to go, "Hey, man." I could use, I could use, I, I, I need a friend now. And they know that you're a reliable human being. That You don't have to say anything about that other stuff because they know and they trust in the authenticity of the, of the real love that's there. So, you know, that's, th- those are the things that I feel like we, we don't spend enough time. We, <laughs> the, like, it's been problematic in, in when, uh, and the difference, right? When you hear somebody preaching for the sake of preaching and telling you all those kinds of things, but, it's like, hey man, you don't know me. How about instead of yelling at me for a while, you listen for a while and and show me a way back that's I mean, I've never walked towards somebody <laughs> right. who's yelling at me. 
Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. I mean, but seriously, who of us no, just go yeah. running with a smile on our face? I'm going to get saved by this <laughs> angry face. You know? It's never. It's no. never My happened. wife and I, were, we went to the Kentucky Derby last year. And of all the, I'm bringing this up because of what you just said. We were walking. If you've ever been to Churchill Downs in Kentucky, um, you know, you have to park a mile and a half away and you walk a very long way to get to the, to the racetrack, unless you're rich, in which case they pull up in a limo, but we weren't. So, but anyway. We're walking up over this bridge and I can hear the megaphone. And there's some douche canoe standing there with a megaphone, you know, with a freaking sandwich board sign saying, you know, whatever it said, essentially you're all going to hell. It was the Turner burn. Yeah, it was, you know, and he's just, he's, he's standing there. He's, he's very militant. He's dressed very militant. There's a couple, two, three guys around him look very, very um, intimidating, you know, holding black leather bound Bibles, of course. And there was, pe- <laughs> nobody walked towards them. <laughs> nobody. I mean, they just, they just like, they parted the sea around them. And then if they said anything at all, they, they hurled insults back at them. Um, and I'm like, so what you just said is so, it, it resonates. It's like, okay, no one goes running towards that person and goes, you know what? I think they have the secret to, to, to life fulfillment and happiness. I should probably go hear what they have to say. What the hell? I, I question whether or not, like, that's, if those people have joy or happiness or do, I'll put it in better terms because those are kind of like greeting card kinds of words. Like when we talk about liberation, when liberation to me is an amazing word because it's, to me, it's like the open-handedness. Like I am not, I am not living conservatively anymore. Like there's no, you know, when I'm hungry, watch me, watch my attitude what happens with the last bit of sushi. Like, I want the last chicken wing. I want the last piece of bread. Like I, like my nature is to like just eat it all until it's gone. And, <laughs> you know, especially when I'm hungry, right? Like when, when I'm, when I'm not worried about scarcity, I am a lot more, you know, I'm a lot more open to the possibilities. I'm a lot more open to sharing something. I'm a lot more open to giving. Liberation is when when we know something of liberation amongst the qualities of that is not living in scarcity, not living in fear. The, the, the ability for grace to enter the picture in liberation is like, listen, I'm not living in fear anymore. I'm liberated from this crippling, stifling, shameful, fearful human quality that I have that that, that feeds upon that. I mean, that kind of evangelicalism to me is feeding on the, exactly the things that we are meant to be liberated from. There's just no other way around it. And I, like 20, and I've, you know, I was talking about this way back with my records, you know, with my faith stuff. Like I didn't grow up in this culture. So by the time, you know, I'm two or three years into it and I genuinely had read through my Bible again and again and again and spent, I mean, I was... Yeah, I spent hours just pouring over my own disciple, you know, my discipleship and Bible studies and I'd mentors galore. And I took it really seriously. And at the at a certain point I started going, Well, you what you're telling me makes is trying to put me back into this box of shame. And I don't I feel like that, you know, I, I feel like I've been I like to me, this is like my understanding of liberation that I no longer have to be afraid of God. Of, of you, <laughs> you know, and that's, you know, my ambition. Like there's something in me, even on my worst day when I'm not getting things, like now, like even in my own sense of repentance, like what I want to do now is like, I genuinely want to be 
living, I want to be the best version of myself. I genuinely want to know freedom in my own body. Not, and I don't mean freedom in the sense to do whatever I want, whenever I want, however I want. Like I genuinely don't want to be a blight on my planet. On my planet, I want to figure out the mysteries of how I can be the most joyful, amazing, gifted person to myself and to others. I want my partner to feel loved. You know, I don't need my partner to love me back. I like it very much. But you know, like part of like part of marriage has been so wonderful in the twenty years that I've been in that. It's like those aha moments when I finally opened myself up to that vulnerability. I'm like, oh, this is what love is. Like, I am not concerned about what I think you should do so I'm not embarrassed by your behavior. <laughs> you know? Like, <laughs> yeah, I like sometimes yeah. I'm just gonna go, you know, I I'll look at to my friends and I go, well, they're their <laughs> right. own person. You but know, it gives you I, that ability, doesn't it, to to accept yeah, people I, where they are, you know, and to say, I don't it, have to extraordinary gift. I don't have to try and make you conform to my image of you. And likewise, you don't, I don't have to somehow conform to your image of me. We can just be free to be one and to be ourselves. Um, what you said about scarcity struck me. Um, I'm not sure if you've, if, if you've ever read, uh, Walter Brueggemann, but, um, amazing 20th century theologian. Uh, it, it's very Brueggemann, what you, cause he talks about the, the, the myth of scarcity all the time. Cause this is, this is what he pushes back with religion, especially a form of Christianity that, 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 that that makes you feel like everything is in very limited quantities all the time. And so, and it, it starts with physical things like food and clothing and shelter, but it also, um, it, it ends up transcending into love and compassion and empathy. We, we hold on to those things as though they're in like limited supply. I can't just give this to everybody because it, you know what I mean? It's like, and I don't, you've probably known people like this in your life. I have who the massive difference between somebody who, who lives that way and the one who lives open-handedly, it, it's, it's, it's enormous, the difference. I mean, I know people who are, who are they're not wealthy by, by any stretch, but they're the most generous people you'll know because they just don't buy off on the scarcity thing. The irony too is like, it, you can, we can look that way. I mean, I can give you my last dollar out of my wallet <laughs> right. because, you know, I've been trained to do it, <laughs> you know. I've been trained to do it and it'll make me righteous if I give you this last dollar. But in my heart of hearts, all I am doing is grumbling under my breath going, I needed that dollar. I didn't want to give it to you or I don't want to give that dollar to you because you don't deserve it or fill in the blank with a thousand other negative things that are in your head. But if you like, in and like the, I'm trying to speak in a metaphor in that sense. So in that metaphor, rather than giving it away because you were told to and you're supposed to because that'll make you righteous or that's a good and holy thing to do versus the difference of liberation that I'm talking about is that you don't even have, you don't even think about that. You're like, this is the dollar that was here waiting for you, for you to have it. I'm unconcerned with its return. I'm unconcerned about, you know, getting it back. I... I just, I see this. This is the moment for this. And you know, it's the moment for it. There's no contest with that. Um, or, you know, it doesn't mean that you won't be worried. Yeah, right. like, oh, well, here it goes. Right. But you know, you know, there's something peaceable. There's something at rest in your chest that knows that that's just, the, you're at peace with that. You're like, I'll do it. Yeah, this is going to put me in hardship. It's going to put me in a pickle, but I'm going to, 
I really want to do this, right? You want to do it. There's a desire to do it. And there's something fulfilling about that. Even if that fool goes out and squanders that buck, that, that still is about your, you know, us and our openness to it. And so I think that to me in that metaphor, that's the kind of, you know, open handed when I talk about open handedness or like that's kind of the vision I see when I talk about liberation. I'm not trying to grip my hands around it and then let go. No, my hand is always open to some degree. And sometimes, you know, I have to learn to shut that out. Sometimes I have to learn what boundaries and things that are all this whole other mess of conversations. But um, that it, it is part of that, our willingness to be open. And it's, it's, it's an interesting, if I had a critique of, and a, a curiosity about where, you know, where our faith is going or where Christianity might, might go. Like first the critique is you guys, you know, you guys, I put, I'm putting that in air quotes. Like my mentors didn't always teach me very well to, they taught me how to look like a Christian and act like a Christian and what those things might look like. They taught me sometimes where to find them, but they didn't always teach me about about that quality. They didn't teach, you know, they taught me that salvation was liberation through, you know, say, you know, accepting Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior and all that kind of stuff. But it took, a lifetime, you know, it's taken me 30 years to get to a point where I'm going, oh, I know what it's like to be free. I, you know, I know, and it takes a lot of hard work. And I'm just saying that for me, maybe, maybe somebody else does, does it a lot better, quicker than I did, but it's taken me a, a lot of self and personal work to be able to commit to trying to understand something about the mystery of love. And that means kind of getting over worrying about it really genuinely means getting over the anxiety of what God might do to me if I fuck this up. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> right, right. But there's yeah. a tremendous amount of liberation in that though, right? I mean, that for, I can speak for myself that there was this enormous weight came off when I, when I stopped worrying about that, you know? Like, yeah, and I'm not out of here having a free-for-all. I'm working no, harder than that, I've ever well, worked. Well, and that's, the, and, that's, and that's the misnomer, isn't it? That, that, that somehow when the guardrails of whatever religious system you're in, once you get out from under those guardrails, like you're just going to spin off and go crazy. Uh, the truth is, the guardrails aren't that necessary. They're 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 not. They're actually not functioning the way you think they function anyway. <laughs> they don't save you from anything. No, really. and, and you know you're going to be um, driving around like a fool. Yeah, one well, you know, and 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 the fact of the matter is that whatever whatever scare tactics brought you into that system will have to be maintained to keep you in that system. Um, so they yeah. have to keep those sphere tactics up or you go, you know, well, maybe the emperor has no clothes. You know, maybe if we don't sacrifice this virgin in the volcano, the sun will still come up tomorrow. <gasps> oh shit. Once that happens, you know, the mystery's gone. Apologies to anyone being thrown into volcanoes, but. If a discipline isn't your own discipline, then it is no discipline. If, right. It's, you know, it's just a construct. If a knowledge is no knowledge to you, if it's just something that you're just practicing by rote and it's not actually, a, if, you know, you might have knowledge something, but no wisdom of it, you know, that kind of, you may be book smart, but you don't have any field experience. You're not going to keep it. Or right. it's that other kind of thing. Like people don't really change their ideas until it's their ideas to change their mind. Right. You know, right. Like, well, like, you, yes. you can debate me all you want and give me all these really great arguments, but until I decide in my own mind that I'm going to commit to this way of thinking, to this way of living, to this way of life, it doesn't really matter how many guardrails you have up, how many times you can, you know, how many verses you can recite. You have to somehow have, 
have that embedded in your own person. So I'm always, you know, in the, in that press, like you're saying, Nat, like you're always doomed to fail. Like I can, I can no, put up the guardrails and you can keep me on the straight and narrow. But if I don't actually have a straight and narrow that's actually a fruitful, beneficial thing that I choose to follow, if there's not a path that I want to be on, I'm going to slide right off and be looking for something else. Well, and even if you just play to the edges of those guardrails, I mean, you're minimally inside the system at that point, right? You're just doing as far, you know, I'm doing the bare minimum to stay inside, to color inside the lines. Um, there's no truth in that. Like, there's nothing authentic about any of that, you know? And I have a lot of friends, you know, sadly still inside of these systems who are, you know, they're just deathly afraid. Um, and really what, I, I don't even think it comes down to hatred. At least hatred that's not born out of fear f- first, you know what I mean? I have a friend who, a friend of a friend who, um, her family has cut her out because of because of her sexuality. They have nothing to do with her, and it's at, and it's and they will swear to you all day long. It's it's out of love. They're just fearful that she's going to hell, and they don't want to. Um, they don't want to be part of it. Meanwhile, <laughs> they're destroying their daughter. Like they've cut her out. I mean, they've yeah, I've never this. I've never quite understood the. It's just heartbreaking. I've never understood that. I mean, I think I, I think it's a worth. I, I mean, I think somewhere in that right, this 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 excommunication trait that many faith tradition has, Christianity is not exclusive to it. I mean, there's like two points to think that you know, there's two kind of ways to look at it. Like, but one we think, oh yeah, you know, if if by the third time you know somebody whatever, you know, cast them out, you know, get get them out of your environment, like. Well, you know, uh, a spoiled rat and a uh, spoiled apple ruins a whole barrel or whatever it is. I mean, I, I don't think there's any question that you can content, you know, that you can, that a person can get in and talk, be toxic to an environment oh, and absolutely. destroy a loving community. Like one person can do that. I think we all understand and know something about that. 100%. So there, there is something about understanding good boundaries in that. At the same time, there is... Some like I am not content personally with just like if there's if it's somebody I actually really love and I genuinely care about that I'm not okay to not be a guide and go hey man what's going on like do you not value this envi- environment do you not value yourself do you not value me like what what's going on here and like if it's something that you genuinely are not meaning to do and you're meaning to, to you know but otherwise like. You know, I might have to go visit you where you are. I might not cut cords or whatever. But I think we can kind of understand like this knee-jerk reaction to just jettison things that we don't understand and things that we think are caustic and toxic. And I think that's one argument that can be made for the LGBTQ community in the history of the church to a degree. Somewhere along the ways we decided that, you know, gay people were bad for our church, but there's no, I don't know of any evidence of any community that's turned profoundly gay and stopped being a good and holy righteous church because there are a couple <laughs> of queer people in the pews. Yeah. Let, let us know if that's happened. Um, I, have, I, have, I, I have led more people to the Lord than I've heard them gay. Like that's all I know how to say. And I've tried not to do any altar calls in 30 years. I mean, I've not, I've not turned anyone gay. Like, Oh, so none. I thought you said just fewer. None. No, no. I no. Like <laughs> I mean, like a ten to one ratio. I mean, like <laughs> I'm just saying, I am disappointed in my track record because when I came out, I got all this vilifying, you know, press. Yeah. You're gonna make a whole generation gay. I'm gonna turn a generation of people just queer as the day is long, and I'm pretty disappointed because 
I thought, yeah, I'd be like <laughs> surrounded by <laughs> <laughs> just a bunch of fresh converts. Huh? I just didn't get. Let me just say, I didn't get any more action. I didn't get any more action at all. There are straight people coming to my shows. They won't stop. <laughs> I'm disappointed. I've been trying to convert. Nat, I tried to convert you when I saw you when you were here in Nashville. Which, well, you you know, still look pretty. I know you did. I and, and you you gave it the old college try. Like forgive the pun. <laughs> you know, but I think it's I think it's fair to say if we have corruptible people in our environment. I think we're all going. Hey, man, like you're ruining our vibe. You're not just our vibe here, but like I think we know there's a difference between kicking somebody out because we don't want our environment to be influenced by somebody else or we don't have to deal with a problem or whatever. But I've just, I've not in my experience the same, like the same way. It's like, I've never gone to in, I've never run towards somebody who was yelling at me. And I don't think I've had, you know, anybody stay. I've never, you know, it's, I've never stayed someplace difficult when I didn't know that somebody was there. Actually, I've never changed any behavior on behalf of, you know, on myself until I saw and empathized with how my behavior hurt myself or others. But there's this weird, there's this weird thing, especially amongst my evangelical brethren and sistren, if I can use that term. But um, where we have this notion of, we say this all the time, like, like all sin is, like all sin is sin, right? And so everything gets couched. So on the one hand, it seems very, very sort of benevolent. And, but on the other hand, what they do is then they cast everything they don't agree with or they, or think falls outside of their purview as sin. And then being gay is the same as, uh, you know, being a drug addict or a murderer. And so, wow, you know, all sin is, so we, that's, and then we get, we come up with these quick, quippy little love the sinner, hate the sin thing. And it's, it's toxic as hell, I think, because now we, now we've, we've just made this not so subtle argument and you've put people on the same playing field, you know, as, as, as though who they are and who they love and what they do is, as, is, is the same as, the harm they might cause somebody in some other way. I 100% agree with you that inside of these, inside of all of our communities, if there is somebody who is harmful and toxic, healthy boundaries are a must, right? I mean, we don't just sit around and... And, and, and it's usually, right? And that usually comes with, hey, you know, this is hurting us. This is hurting me in this way. You know, you're, this is hurting me in this way. This is not a fruitful behavior. And is it possible that we could not do this? And for the, you know, for for quote unquote repentant people or like for those of us who are tuned into caring and having a concern for that, the odds are on like, if you've, if you've approached me in that way, I'm going to say, oh my gosh, I'm, I see that. I see that harm and I really, I'm sorry. I'm, you know, I, I don't want to do that again. I want to learn how to do better, you know, or screw you, man. I don't care about you. Right, <laughs> which, which you know, which is an understandable reaction that some people have from time to time, but yeah, it's giving the people the opportunity to see that, and I, I that is part of it. I think maybe that would have even, I think, in all the times that you know people had had kind of divorced themselves from me because of my gayness. You know, I've had people say, oh, "I'm not going to listen to your music anymore here," you know, because you're gay, and I'm like, okay, that I guess that works. You don't have to, <laughs> uh, but you know, like I'm like, okay, well, I don't, you know, that's that's fine. If this music is no longer edifying to you anymore, then don't listen to it. That's great, thank you. You know, you know, it's edifying to to some people. It means something to other people. And if it's if it doesn't walk with you, then it's 
it's okay for you to not have that. And that's been such... I've just seen people stand in front of me thinking that that was the thing. And I was just like, well... But here's the thing I'll say after that. It's like, that's fine if you don't want to. But if that music means something to you, why are you letting me get in the way? You know, if, if that if that is a if that song can be a blessing to you, then have someone else sing it for you. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Or or whatever. I don't know. But it's just like I I think that we've been taught to do that probably more than we've actually thought through it. I like I I don't have a need to go up to some somebody else who doesn't. You know, if that's not doing it for me anymore, I don't need to go out of my way to go tell them that I don't like what they have to offer anymore. I just don't right, go. Right. Yeah, and it's I, an easy enough thing to just, eh, okay, just won't do that. That, that seems logical. And I think that's probably part of the problem. But it's like this idea, like when I've like said that, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't call myself an ally because I think that's something that you can't put up on yourself. But as you, as you, um, stand up for your LGBTQIA plus community and, and siblings, uh, that's one thing. And, and they, you know, you get like, from the evangelical side, as you do that, they get you get the the curse. Like I'll pray for you. I don't. I think you've lost your way. Blah blah blah. But as soon as you say, "Yeah, but I don't think being gay is a sin," that's like the cutoff moment. Yeah, that's like okay. Well, you now you've stepped over a bound that I don't know how to deal with anymore. Because before you said that, I could pray for you and hope that you I'll bring you back. But now that you're saying that you don't believe being gay is a sin, I don't know if you're. If you are savable, let alone the people that you're that you're protecting and standing up for, right? Well, and in that context, I'm yeah. In that context, I'm probably not um, like, <laughs> right. I mean, you know, I like I'm, I clearly have a position in that, but right. I think when it comes to you know our social interactions and who we let in, I think one of the things I kind of say is like I've had people come up to me being quite angry with me, and I'll be like, and basically I've said, you know, what is what is it that I can do for you? You know, what is it, you know, what, what thing is it that you're so upset with me that you're voicing this concern and you now want to throw me, what, is there something for which I should make amends for? Is there, is there some, you know, it's, it's usually quite surprising to me that a stranger would come up to me and find me personally responsible for something we consider we just met two minutes ago and I haven't said a word, but. Right. Oh. But, you know, I mean, I am open to that. You know, I, I, I think that's, that's kind of a little bit of the, the idea is just like, if, if you, it's on us to be able, if there has been a harm, I think it's really important to name the harm. And I would, I would say to that, you know, like bad theology. I think there's been a harm done. For example, when you talk about the preaching that's been done, you know, pushing out LGBTQ people from faith communities, it's a harm. And I can point to that harm and I can, I can, I can, I can name that harm. I can, it, it's, you know, I used to really enjoy, you know, naming the names and pointing out the asshats who used to preach this stuff. And it's it's really fun to kind of pick an enemy, right? And say, this person is doing a bad thing. And I'm like, you know what? No, not anymore. It's like, no, you. it's your choice to use that theology. And let me tell you why that theology is harmful and why I'm asking you to stop using it. And I, and, you know, that's what I would do. And I, and I would talk about that. And, that to me is a lot more constructive way than saying, I think the Southern Baptist Convention needs to be ripped down. Like, you know, or the people, you know, the people in SBC leadership that are continuing to perpetrate this thing. And it's CCM or a thousand other things that we can quote unquote complain about and legitimately get mad about. And here's where I'm a, I want to be a peacemaker in this. I don't think any of these things are wrong. 
you know, I, and I don't think there's, you know, I think we're all like, for those of us who are frustrated, angry, or have ever shown any negativity in and around it, the challenge is for us to be able to name the harm, to be able to give the, and the, to be able to give people an opportunity to see the alternative path and the expectation that would be helpful, fruitful, and beneficial to many others and to the other. What, what is hospitable? And when I'm asked, you know, I'm not, it's better than just saying, hey, this is, you know, this is a bad theology and you're a bad believer. You know, I, I, I want to believe, I would like to give somebody a credit for, you know, dedicating their lives to even environments that teach and propagate bad theology to go, well, it hasn't harmed you and that's why it probably hasn't struck you. But it's amazing how quickly a pastor, you know, a, a pastor changes their tune once their kid that they love, they genuinely love comes out. It's amazing. Like, it's amazing how quickly your world change when you are in a proximity of somebody who is suffering under the yoke of a bad theology. When it's amazing how quickly you can let that go when you figure out the people that you love are being damaged by it. You're going, oh, I'm not holding that anymore. It's, it's amazing how quickly we repent of things that we see actually profoundly limit our pros- prosperity. And I don't, I don't mean like financially. I mean, our, our, our ability to survive our ability to be fruitful, to flourish, to be whole and healed. It's amazing how quickly people give things up when, it, when we see how destructive it is to ourselves and the people that we love and our community. And that's, that's my persistence in saying, perhaps they haven't seen it yet. We'll continue to stand up for those of us who can and then usher those away who will not survive being in that space. Like I will give you safe passage to another place. I will help in that. But... Um, yeah, I think that's our challenge. Should not just kind of tear down the four walls because the the last thing I'll say on it is this, is there there are people inside of those faith communities. I learned this hard way from my LGBTQ community. I thought that was the answer for a long time. That's bad theology. Get the hell out of there. You know, screw those people, screw those people, you know, screw that guy, screw that, you know, church, screw that city, whatever. Forget them. Don't ever go back. And what I realized is like, you're you're actually talking about like the people that queer people love. You know, their parents are in that church and that's a tradition that makes sense to them. Maybe you're Catholic, maybe you're Southern Baptist, maybe that's the language, that's the mother tongue of your faith and your spirit experience. And if you don't get to go to that place anymore, it's just this empty hole. Like you lose your family, you lose your friends and your community and the places that historically made you feel safe. And, you know, and sometimes you, we do have to walk away from those and they can be really catastrophic experiences. But this idea that, that that's the first move and that we'll be healed once we leave all of that behind is, is not an easy endeavor. Because some people really are like want to be theologically, like to some degree, traditionally, perhaps, you know, in the traditions that they came from. I, had a, I have a friend of mine who's a Pentecostal drag queen. I can't get my head around it. <laughs> that's their gig. You know, yeah. it's the drag part's easy. It's the Pentecostal part that I, because I have my own biases and prejudices because of experiences I've had in those kinds of spaces. But that's their heart. You know, that's that's the way they practice. That's their spiritual practice and discipline. And that's the tradition they they are most fruitful in in their evangelicalism. And I can't go, I, I can't, 
I can't stand in the way of that because other bad actors inside of that space have had bad theology and practice at well. This person's realigning that tradition in a way that is not incompatible with that. You know, but you have you have to meet those folks and you have to be able to be those per- people who can kind of carry that torch a little bit. And it, it's extraordinary because it's it's you just can't judge a book by its cover. You can't say that all gay, gay people have run off and gotten debauched. Like people who leave the church don't have to be gay to like go screw this. I'm out of here. Woohoo! Let's party and and tear up their lives. It, it has very little to do with that. But those are the memes that we use, and it's time. I, you know, that's the challenge. I think to kind of say, well, if if, if our faith traditions have any wisdom to, at all to offer us, I think it does teach us that there's a possibility to be fruitful and kind and empathetic and p- compassionate to one another. And that's our real challenge. Yeah. Some of the greatest accomplishments that I feel like we've done on this podcast, because we have been, you know, LB, LGBTQI plus uh, affirming since day one. And so say friends that Nat and I have had from years ago from church, who I've lost connection with, and I haven't thought about them in years, right? Because it's not really the, it's not the circle I'm in anymore. And I'll get these random DMs from people saying, you don't know how important what you had to, what you said was because I left the church because, or I, I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to communicate in the church because my child came out. And you've given me a place that I can listen to people who give me um, encouragement and show me another way that is going to allow us to love one another. I would say that's one of the that's one of the greatest accomplishments that I feel that our our podcast has done. Um, and I'm not trying to do that. I don't think Nat's trying to do that. We're just that's just something we've decided that is part of our our platform. Right? We're going to. We're never going to shy away from who we love and who we say uh, deserves to be loved. Period. And so, getting these these DMs from time to time, uh, you know, I, I think you can relate to this. There's times where you don't want to do what you're doing anymore because it's it's hard and it's long and it's arduous, right? Because there's a lot like with your touring and all that. Uh, then all you need is that one comment, that one person who says, "Because of you," right? And you're like, you're lifted, like. 100 miles up, right? Well, at the end of the day, I'm like kind of like I'm not too far from my blue collar roots. I'm like a good old country girl. I mean, I've I've never... A hard day's work is nothing that I'm really afraid of. Like all the things that I have that I truly value, I've really labored for. Like including, you know, including my relationships, including, you know, my good mental health to, you know, to the roof that's over my head. Like nothing... Nothing comes easy. Nothing's as simple as a prayer. Right. <laughs> you know, like right. I, I think it's fantastic. You know that I've I've never experienced it. Maybe somebody like Paul. You know, Paul supposedly had the scales lifted from from his eyes, and like you know, I guess he hit the ground running. Like my conversion was not overnight. I accepted Christ in my heart. Oh God, every time. <laughs> <laughs> we got to find it's a better way to say a, that. No, but you know, like I, there was a mo- there was a day that I, you know, for whatever reason, I like am very uncomfortable with that kind of language and phrasing. Now, there was a moment in my t- in time where I was like, "Listen, enough, enough, Jen. You don't know anything about yourself, and I'm going to try this discipline and see. I'm going to. I genuinely went into Christianity wanting a miracle over my person. I needed a savior. I really did. Like I was." I, I don't know how much longer I would have survived, literally, had I not made that decision. 
but in that decision, like it's it and and some of my friends talked about it like it was some kind of, you know, Paul Paul and, you know, miracle moment where everything was just hunky dory once I prayed that prayer. It was not. I thought half of the things that I was having to participate in were bullshit. It took me another year to go to school or to go to eat to church. You know, when I did go to church, I felt stupid and uncomfortable. And half the time I was pissed and having an argument with somebody on the steps of the the church on the way through. It took me, you know, it took me a long time to even like wonder, like I even get over my own suspicions of the own decisions that I'd made. But the, it also was a choice that I made to be disciplined and to learn something and to be open to the possibility that there was something here that could be meaningful and profoundly positive in in my life. And it has been. And that's, you know, on the worst days, I really don't want to give my faith experience credit for that. Um, and other days I am mystified because I think it, it does take an act of spirit that's a mystery to me and how that happened. But it's not, I think sometimes, you know, we look it's that old adage. We look for the miracles and we talk all the time with this language. We take for granted in, in speaking with this language, like miracles happen in this way, but we get sent a boat, a helicopter, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know in the flood, you know, in that, yeah. in that joke of, you know, the man who drowns on the roof you know, or the roof of his house after God sent him a boat, a helicopter and, you know, all this other stuff. And he's like, I sent you all those things. What well, part of that was not a miracle? Right. right. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, he gets, he gets to heaven. like, you were supposed to save me. It's like, yeah, but our participation, but our participation in that is really important. And, and I, I think our willingness to be able to learn what love might be like beyond just the catchphrases and beyond just the checking off of the boxes and the doing um, are really lifelong, hard, things to do. And I love that I came from that because at the end of the day, all of the things that I've, I've, I've learned how, you know, I'm pretty good at playing instruments and music. You know, there's not, a, there's not, there aren't very many mus- instruments that I've picked up in my lifetime that I didn't have a conception how to make work and act musical, but I still learn how to play them. Right. Exactly. Like, yeah. yeah. You know, I still practice guitar to this day. And if I don't, you can tell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I still care about my craft enough to practice it. I'm a, you know, I'm a songwriter. I still go ask other songwriters younger than me and older than me what their wisdom is about my craft because I care about it. I still talk to people. You know, I still learn things every day. I've been married for 20 years and I'm still trying to figure out how to do that properly. And I still learn things that are new about my partner and about myself. These are long things and they're not always easy. But the things that I love the most are the ones that I really hunkered down and said, okay, <laughs> you know, here, here we go. Here's something I don't know. Here's something I'm scared to death. And here's something I need to be better at and I want to be better at. And, you know, none of those things were just instant miracles. I was never instantly good at being a Christian. I still don't have a clue about what prayer really is. I don't, you know, I, I love theology, but I still go and study it. I still read what other people think, people I agree with and people I don't agree with. But that's my investment. That's about the best that I can give. I can give you my heart. I can say I'm here. I can say to you, I will show you that I'm invested in this effort time and again. And you will know that by my consistency of being here and knowing that you can hear me talking about these things and doing this work and seeing growth, hopefully, in those areas. 
That's all we can ask for. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't want anyone to ask that much more than me. I'm not sure how much more I have to give. Because <laughs> it feels like a hell of a lot. And it's, it is a hell of a yeah. lot. And it, and it breaks my heart when people don't actually believe me in that. You know, it's a really heartbreaking adventure. When And I think that's, you know, in the LGBTQ thing, that's where it's really heartbreaking, right? Where people who are, are genuinely there to, to have a meaningful spiritual experience and you just throw somebody out. You know, that's, that's a really rough way to go. I mean, you you mentioned a couple of times this that, this 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 notion or this idea of proximity. That's a hundred percent. I would I would attribute anything in, any progress I've made in my life towards these issues with proximity. I mean, I had to know people, and I had to make a conscious choice to get to know people because um, most of those prejudices don't survive actual relationships. You know, it's just you, the second you actually humanize somebody beyond your conception of their sexual orientation or however you perceive of their community, the second you can move beyond that and you can go, oh no, this is, this is a human being and someone that I genuinely care about and love. My, my sort of road to Damascus moment came with a friend of mine who uh, we just planted a church and she came to me and wanted, wanted, was looking for a pastor who would marry her and her partner. And uh, I, still, I, still get, I still get mad at myself. I, I, I said no. Even though I'd been vocally, you know, affirming for some time, that was a road I wasn't yet ready to go down because I knew what it would cost me, <laughs> you know. And it wasn't much in retrospect. It was, it was, it wasn't much. But and she and I have talked about this a bunch since then. I'm like, but it literally caused me to go home, sit down with my wife, and go, "What the hell did I just do? I just literally betrayed." everything that I said that I was in favor of and that I would promote and that I would affirm. And when I, when push came to shove, I, I chickened out. But I did, I did tell her and I said, I won't do that again. Like that's not going to happen again. So those, those kinds of walls get broken down when you come face to face with somebody you love and, and you're asked to, to move beyond some set of dogma or whatever that you've, that you've constructed for yourself. And you go, oh, okay, well, maybe that's just too limiting of a truth. There's got to be more to this. So that's what I would, anytime John and I talk about this kind of stuff to people, uh, I try to throw that in there, like get to know people, get outside of your circles, get outside of your little hermetically sealed bubbles and make an effort, you know, to, uh, to, bef- to, to befriend someone. I think you'll be shocked. I mean, Jesus threw a party, you know, like there was, yeah. there was like fish and bread, like there's wine. I mean, these, we, we, co- we ultimately come together in order to be loving to one another. We, you know, to be a neighbor, you have to show up, <laughs> you know, you have to come, you have to come next door. And I, I, I yeah, I'm, I'm not thinking of, oh, I don't know. I, I think I cannot really only think of like the one moment that Jesus gets super mad and, you know, the whole famous tossing, tossing junk in the, the church and everything in the synagogue. And I'm like, I bet there weren't a lot of people standing around him at the time. You know, like, <laughs> as, things, as things are flying about. Right. Tables but, are tossed. You know, <laughs> yeah. But this imagination we have, like in, in these miraculous moments, like the, you know, the woman at the well, you know, like the woman at the well, there was still, granted, they were ga- all gathered to throw stones at her. So it was a pretty good crowd before, I guess, Jesus showed up or something. But there are a lot of these times where Jesus spoke and they're, we see something about that, that, that we, 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 we mourn and we cry together and we laugh and we celebrate together in something that we know that we've, we're doing something that 
does create a body. I mean, if you're going to, you know, I'm the vine, you're the branches, the man remaining me, and I ain't hearing me very much for your part of me. <laughs> <laughs> and they say you don't know your Bible. Look at that. Well, I only yeah, know like perfect. five. Yeah, well, um, you, that's all you need, yeah. really. I mean, Jesus wept. Well, a lot of people who would preach against people like you. They know five verses too. They're just five different verses. <laughs> yeah, they're just, right. and they're the only five that we all, we <laughs> well, all like, carry around our, our Swiss Army knife. Don't let me bust out my Leviticus now, man. Come on, like, uh, I will. Uh, I'll, I'll throw down some 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 Romans on you. But, but we talk, yeah, we we talk about the body though, and I, I it's it's strange. Like the body has to come together. You know, it's yeah, not a body it unless it's it's working and walking in some step together. Well, and in you that start case. To know it's, comfort, it's comforting for me to know that all bodies need assholes, and we have several of those. So, I mean, <laughs> I mean, everybody needs one. We have like twenty. I don't know what's going on here, but and for me, as you know, as I as I build these relationships, right, we can always uh, and and I'm not trying to like downplay what you're saying that because I a, a thousand percent agree with you that you don't under you don't you don't begin to understand people until you until you build relationships with them. But you have to go beyond this idea like I have a black friend, I have a gay friend <laughs> to the point where they're, they're, they are good enough friends that they're going to call you out on your bullshit. I mean, that would be true if I had a black yeah, friend. Eventually, right. I get tired of being your gay friend. <laughs> to, to create relationships <laughs> with people to the point where like, okay, you just said something really stupid and let yeah. me tell you why. Um, and I, and I have those, you know, and I have those relationships within, within, my work community and my out and my and my my other com- you know that community outside of work where I've I have I have literally put my foot in my mouth and they're like that's the dumbest shit I've ever heard yeah don't and say here's that again. why and right. and it, it's usually out of ignorance right it's usually something you say out of ignorance not out of hate but um, something is, I'll use this one as an example because it's it's kind it's not it's not huge, but it is, it is at the same time, I, you know, working with a, a lot of my female friends and I walked in one day and I walked up to one of my female and, uh, friends at work and I said, man, you look tired. She goes, Oh, I'm sorry. I was just crying all night last night. But then, and then I instantly felt like it's just a complete better <laughs> asshole right? because <laughs> and I knew were. better. You never, that's not something you say. You don't <laughs> say that. You don't say that to anybody, right? Because you, again, you don't know why they look the way they look, right? And so I basically, you know, after she told me that she'd been crying all night over, you know, some kind of situation, I just went over and was like, I am so sorry. I was a dick. I know better. I know better than that. I should have just came up and asked you, how, how are you doing? Or something, something more basic. And if she wanted to include me in the conversation into what's going on, she would. And if she didn't, she would say, I'm fine, right? We all know that. We all use that, those two words all the time when we don't really want to have that conversation with these people, right? I'm fine. But I made the stupid. It's it's almost as bad as walking up to someone and say, um, "Congratulations, I hear you're pregnant." And they're like, "No, I'm not." Or, you know, it's, it's, just, it's that, or, it's that, it's that or, level of stupidity, right? Just they're telling me and asking when they're due. Come on, right? But it, it's but it's the ability for them to then tell you that you were stupid <laughs> and for you well, to we, acknowledge that you were stupid. We all have those it. levels of stupidity, right? Yeah, and if I'm not, if I haven't caught it for myself, like. I think about the times I'm most uh, pliable, and it's usually somebody I know. It's you know, it's usually somebody I've usually somebody I know that I've hurt. Um, that that you know, a correction or an amendment is is you know, an encouragement to say, hey, yeah, like this was happening. Maybe do better. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, 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 thank you. I mean, you know, the the friends that will tell the good, the people that love you that do have enough courage to tell you of spinach in your teeth. It's it's a very if you and if you care about it, 
And even if you don't, it's it can be a really humiliating experience for us humans. We don't like to be corrected and we don't like to be wrong or caught out. So I have empathy for that experience. But I also know that like I'm really genuinely grateful after my ears get done being hot in the back of my neck, you know, um, after that gets done, I'm really grateful for the friends that I've had in my life but that have have done well to correct me in those moments. But that's also how I, I kind of kind of kind of came to the space too of understanding a little bit of a difference. Why yeah. did that person make me feel like I wanted to jump off a cliff? And why did that person make me feel like there was a way out of my bad nature? You know, what what are the difference between those two? And you know, that's 50 years, you know. I'm not a spring chicken anymore. I've had a lot of those experiences and plenty of people correcting me through the years to be able to go, oh, I know who I, you know, I know when I get it from this handful of people, I've got a serious problem on my hands and I take it seriously. And I, you want, you need those kinds of reliable people in your life. You know, that's a Christian accountability issue thing, right? Like you, I, yes, I do want people to be accountable to you. But that's, you know, a lot of these things that have come up in the, in as catchphrases and things we kind of take for granted. I think we, you know, we, we need to spend some time really thinking about what, what our motivation is to have those people in our lives and who we're willing to be accountable to and why. And, and part of that is having those people that, like you're saying, you see it, you recognize that in that. And you're like, oh man. And I think Nat, you said, yeah, I won't be doing that. I won't be making that error again. Because it means something to you. You know, the bumper bowling would have done you well to maybe have never made that in the first place, but you were going to have to learn that at some point and to fail in some regard. <laughs> All of us fail in some regard to go, I don't want to do that again. Jennifer, you have to own it. I don't <laughs> want to do that again. I'm doing my NPR voice. Right? I mean, it's important. I will say this before I, for, before I forget. Now, if my friend is listening, I hope she will. Um, if she's made it this far, um, she's a massive, she's a massive fan. And so, uh, um, she's, she's on your Facebook page a bunch. And she's like, you know, she and her partner are going to go see you play somewhere. Um, but anyway, so I'm like, I get to, I get to go, well, I just had a good, awesome conversation with, with Jennifer. She, she loves you. So, but you know, I, I, I actually, I literally do. I, I can look back through my life and find these, see these like sort of watershed moments. And they're typically things like that where I go, oh, okay. You know, the mature part of you says, okay, I made that mistake. I'll own it. I've apologized for it. And I've also resolved to not make that mistake again. Um, the next time I'll, I'll have more courage. And again, looking back on it, what was being risked was not very much. It was, it, it was way, what I risked by hurting my friend was way more important than what I risked by going against my, my prevailing Christian culture. What, somebody might have said something bad about me. Oh, no. Um, but at the time, it seemed important. I will say this. Um, we have to wind this down. I know it's, uh, been a, it's just awesome. I could talk to you forever, Jennifer. You should know that. But um, that, but that's amazing. That, I love that. That's, there, there are guests that we have to prod and there are guests that we have to... We don't. It's amazing. Ever since I met you, I guess it was the end of June, um, I've been listening to your music a bunch. Um, I just have you on in the car a lot. And I'm like, you know what? It holds up. And that was to me the um, the difference between what you have what you had done within CCM and outside of it, and what others had done is so much of that music is triggering to me now. I just can't do it. You know, it's either it's either couched in over flowery simplistic language, or it's you know what I mean, it's full of cliches and weird stuff. So that that was propaganda. What you have created is art, and it's different. It's beautiful. I still I 
I, I, I haven't yet to come across a song I'm like, oof, I bet she doesn't sing that one anymore. Oh, there's a couple. Good <laughs> <stuff>. <laughs> After we get off the air, I will uh, encourage you to give up a couple of those. Uh, okay, but, all right. Uh, <laughs> with no malice, just going, no, no, no. Um, just like, no, just stop singing that song. No, that's the I, one I'm I, on. This. I do appreciate that. And I, I, I will say that, like, that's, that kind of was a really wonderful experience to learn. Like I had definitely chucked the baby out with the bathwater and I didn't really see much future for any of that older stuff, but uh, the my older catalog and, 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 and those songs. Um, but it was, it was my, definitely my audience that gave them back to me for sure. Talk to me about what they meant. And as, as I went back and revisited them, this is, you know, 10 years ago or so. Um, but it took me a couple of years to go back through them and play with them and live with them and listen to them. And I, I think what, the part of me that was maybe perhaps embarrassed and like, again, I've been you know, talking about my own biases against my own religious experience, was ready to chuck them out. But it was the, it was remembering and going back to the time and place that I wrote them and recognized that some of those questions that I had in that music, I've have been a lifelong journey that uh, it took me 10 years to, to figure out what that song meant, even after I wrote it. And, uh, but I, I, I think the part of me that, you know, and anything that I would have ever said, oh, these are the things I'm embarrassed about that I've done whilst saying I was a Christian, that music is not much, that, that music is not there. I mean, I, I was genuinely, I was genuinely sorting out my faith with t- fear and trembling in that. And I, you know, I, I still do that today. And I'm really grateful for those experiences. And, you know, if that, whatever that means as far as my career or or my my influence as an artist or as a, a person of faith, it, it will be what, it, I mean, it will be found out for what it is. I mean, that's kind of where I'm at. It's just like, you know, if, if, it, if it doesn't, if it doesn't stick and it doesn't last, I'll be found out. If I'm wrong, I'll be wrong about something and I'll cross that bridge when I get there, but I'll have to learn it because it's inevitable that, you know, there's just, that's just, you have to live your life and have that journey to be able to get the knowledge and the wisdom that the journey will offer you, <laughs> you know, um, and try and do as little a damage as I can between here and there. But I'm learning as I go still and I love it. And it's been a real blessing to be able to do that. And it, it's been an honor to, to know that something that I think, especially early in my 20s, when I first started doing this and um, I've had a few experiences, uh, retro experiences lately that are kind of making me think about my time when I was 22, 23, 24 in that, those spaces. And I, I just remember in those times, the deepest criticisms that I got at the time was that, you, you know, you can't do this because it's not feminine enough and everyone will think you're gay. And you can't do this because girls don't do this in the church. And you can't say that and you can't wear this. And there was a lot of, you know, admonitions for me, you know, and warnings for things for me not to do. And, and somewhere the little rebel in me was just like, but I have to, like, this is, you know, I wrote a song in my room and nobody was listening. And that was the song that I wrote between me and God. And when I go out and play it and my friends are like, will you play that song again and again and again? And I'm like, okay, I will. You know, it's like each, I learn something in my quiet space and then I take it out into the world and I, you know, I test it. I test it to see if it has any merit or truth or purchase power, you know, like if it has, if it's going to hold up. And some things have and some things haven't, but I'm, I'm really grateful for the fact that all those years that, 
I was scared and kind of believing believing in something that I only at the time kind of thought might be a hope is that I was a person of dignity and value and worth and that these questions that I had were genuine and sincere and deeply moved to hold to know something of compassion and love and generosity and the the greatness of of divine love and I I stuck it out on my own behalf because I will admittedly say to you every time I'm selfish I had to learn it for myself first I'm I'm so grateful that that in sticking to that, even in the fear through those times that that held true in, or that, that that's not held true, but that it's, that it's proved to not be a fruitless effort. That, you know, I, I'm in tears to know that, you know, the Kansas record still makes people cry. And that, that, that the music that I've written has been a way through some of the most difficult times for people deeper into their faith and to walk away from it all at the same time. But that I see healthy, healthy, happy, you know, well-rounded human beings um, or people who are trying to be that. And it's been an honor and a privilege through these years to do it. And on, you know, on those days when you talk about the grinding road schedule and I'm bitching about how tired I am, uh, I still get up the next day because that is, man, that is like just the greatest, most beautiful thing to see. To like genuinely go out and love people and to to love doing something that means something that's not just beneficial for me, but is meaningful to creating a community and a, a lovely space for a lot of people is something I'll do as long as I get the opportunity to do it because it is amazing. Well, from all of us, thank you for that. Thank you for... I, I can't thank you enough just for... I mean, it'll sound empty to say it, but just just for being authentically you and having the courage to, to, to not settle for less than that. You know, I think that's a, if nothing else, there are people, uh, watching you do your, you know, and go, okay, that's possible. Uh, like I can, like I can do that. So it is possible. You are amazing, Nat. It's possible. There's still hope for you. (laughs) Well, no, I mean, not, 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 I mean, not for me, but for other more talented people. No, no, but I'm just saying, John and I are both sitting here absolutely green. You're, you're not done yet. You're, you're not done. (laughs) My ship is not fully sailed. (laughs) You are, you are younger than me. I've got a little, I'm a little farther down the road than you. So, um, really? Yeah. Yeah, I was born in 71. Oh, so yeah, you are way old. Yeah, John's older than me. <laughs> I know yeah, you guys. He's, he's pushing. Oh, I'm so he's nice to be the spring chicken in the room. You are, you are the youngest person on the screen right Yay. now. Um, yeah. So you Besides have that going cat. for you. But if, yeah, well, that, that cat's probably lived as close to its full life. As well, lovely to spend the, the <laughs> evening with you guys. Thank you for yeah, having me Yeah, thank you so Appreciate much. Yeah. Man, yeah, I'm, sure. I'm, I'm hopefully one of these shows in Texas, uh, I'll... Uh, I think you're. I thought I saw on your schedule you were going to be in Austin too at some point. So if you're if you're following along, go to the website, right? Go to jennifernap.com, I would assume. Jennifernap.com, all of the jumping off places you might possibly want to go yeah. start there. So, so don't take don't take my fuzzy recollection as gospel truth. But if you get anywhere near me, I'll do my very best to come down and see you and buy you a beer. And we'll uh I'll let you we'll, we'll hang out. Maybe pull me up on stage and we'll sing a song. No, I'm just uh, no. <laughs> so, I was no. <laughs> She's like, no, no, don't even, no. I don't do that. Um, Fantastic. Thank you for listening to This Is Not Church. Be sure to rate and review the podcast on your platform of choice. If you would like to partner with us, 
visit patreon.com slash thisisnotchurch, where you will receive exclusive content such as early access to episodes, videos of upcoming episodes, and live Q&A sessions. Be sure to check out our Facebook group or follow us on Twitter and Instagram. All the links are in the show notes. We'll be back soon with another episode.